Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right, Philippians chapter 3 is where we're at. And uh, I'm just going to review real quick, so we're going to continue here. This is part 5. Last week we looked at verses 6 through 8, and we saw that Paul finished up his credentials as a Jew and a law abider in continuing to, to point out that you cannot earn your salvation. When it comes to works for salvation, there will always be someone who outdoes you. Always. You cannot earn it. I don't care how good you I don't care how good you are, you can't earn it. You're not gonna earn it. If you could, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. Amen. You, we should all be really happy about that. Amen. Because I'm not good enough. I knew, I knew that from the get-go. Um, but there are some people that don't. So that was one of the things we saw. We also saw this. When we truly yield our lives to the gospel, we can take the whole list of accomplishments that we had prior and conclude that they are all lost compared to knowing Christ. One revelation from the Word of God is worth the loss of every earthly possession. There is no comparison. And this is truth. And sometimes people don't realize it, but if, if you don't know that, it means you haven't had a revelation yet. Because if you, if, you, if you approach this book with a religious mindset that God's not alive, not real, and that I have to, you know, do good and things like that, you'll miss so much of what's available right here. But when you approach this book in faith with an open heart, Jesus will visit you. He will talk to you. He will tell you things and speak to you about your life and even about other people at times. And you'll go, oh, come on, how many have ever had this happen? Okay? There is nothing like it. I mean, it hits you all over the place. All right, so there's no comparison. When it comes to good works, it all boils down to motivation. You know, Paul mentioned doing good works. Are we motivated from the leading of the Holy Spirit within us, or are we motivated to look good in front of our fellow believers, hoping God will see and reward us for our good works? Our responsibility, and what the Holy Spirit is telling us through Paul, is that we are to live from the resource of the grace of the resurrection within us by the hand or operation of faith. So whenever you go to do something, who are you depending on? And I'll just say this, the only way you can depend on the Holy Spirit is if he told you to do it. I'm going to add that, okay? So in other words, he could tell you to do it from this, but I'm also talking about a direct word from the Lord to you. So either or. So this is why in Proverbs it talks about in every decision, in all things, acknowledge who? Him. All right? And he will what? Direct your paths. And sometimes the direction, actually I've had it happen quite a few times, is don't do anything. And you can feel it inside of you like, no, I really got to do something. And he's saying, no, don't do anything. Just leave it alone. Okay? All right. So sometimes that's the case. So that's what we saw there. So we're going to go to verse 9 uh, this evening and continue along with this, th- uh, this thought. So... As we move into the next verses, we must not separate what we, just, what we just looked at. Paul has not changed topics here, 
but if we are not careful, it can sound like he switches into talking about earning something. So pay attention closely. I won't, I won't let it slip by, but you got to pay attention closely. We need to realize that he is talking about living from a supply of grace. Acting on and from grace by faith produces results. The results that show are a byproduct of the grace acted upon. So whenever you see works in the New Testament, you need to perk up and go, this is a work of grace. Unless in the context it's specifically, Paul specifically or another writer is specifically arguing against Jewish law. But there, you, some people have said this before, you know, um, like I've heard ministers today, a minister, I could name a name and you'd know, but I won't. We'll leave it alone because I don't want my name named. <laughs> but that, that think that the book of James should not be in the New Testament. They think it should be thrown out because James talks about works. The problem is you don't understand grace properly if you think that. Because grace, I always go back to this. We did a whole series on it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You're not saved. In fact, I'm going to read it. Just go over there. It's better if we read it. Says this. Of Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What does it say in the beginning of verse 9? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10. For we are his what? Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for, well, I thought you weren't saved by works. (laughs) So I can't throw James out, otherwise i got to throw this out. Amen. Okay, so just be, you say, why do you have to bring that up? Because you'll, you'll come across it. And people will teach things, and it sounds really convincing. It sounds really good, like, yeah, I don't have to do anything. Yeah, you don't have to do anything to earn your salvation, but don't be lazy once you got it. (laughs) See, here's the thing. It's not just, you know, sometimes people think, well, the preacher needs more help. Well, there's no preacher on the planet that doesn't need more help. That's That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're lazy with what's placed within you, it will affect you way more than it affects me. Because your graces are seeds, and they have to be cultivated and maintained. If they're not, I won't, I mean, people around you could suffer loss. You'll suffer the greatest loss. And you won't go to hell. You'll just get to heaven early. Amen. It's the truth. Amen or oh me, one or the other. It's just the truth. All right, so verse 9, let's get into verse 9. He says this, Paul says this by the Holy Spirit, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So there are a few translations. I want to just take out a couple of phrases here, and then we'll we'll break down uh, the verse in greater parts. But I want to read a couple of different translations on certain phrases in this verse to help you understand it more. The phrase, and to be found in him, 
In one translation, it says, and be actually in union with him. So when you were born again, you came into union with Christ. You and Jesus right now are the spirit of Christ within your spirit. You're one. Okay? You've been brought into union with him. Now, you could take that translation, and if you want to get real happy, all day tomorrow, just talk about how you're in union with him. And it'll start out real bumpy. You ever notice that? That's because you've got to bump out of your natural mind into your spiritual mind. I do this. I've made a habit of this. I'm getting, I'm getting addicted to this. But, but we've all, when, when we went to Bible college, we were taught to say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. Speak it. Speak your faith. Speak your faith. And so we'd grab scriptures and meditate them. We'd get one. There is testimony of John G. Lake with his healing ministry. Sometimes his healing, he had healing technicians and they had healing rooms. They would get a hold of one verse and meditate it for two hours before they'd lay hands on the sick. I know we don't have time for that because Facebook beckons. But I don't know about you. I'd rather see what John G. Lake saw. We got way too many distractions today. So we be found in him. What does that actually mean? That means you're in union with him. The, another phrase in here, and it's actually at the end of the verse, it says this, the righteousness which is from God by faith... I love this translation. It says the real right standing which originates from him and rests on faith. I like that. I'm righteous because it originated from him and because it rests on faith. It rests on faith. Another translation of this particular portion of the verse says this, which is derived from God and founded on faith. So my righteousness cannot be earned. I'm I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even if I perform a carnal act. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even if I sin. (laughs) People just, their their religious brains just explode when you say stuff like that. Some people because they're, oh no, you lost your righteousness. Are you kidding me? If it was that easy to lose... Now, you may, screw, you may be screwing up your fellowship, but you are not messing up your righteousness. If, my righteous, if I can mess up my righteousness by doing, couldn't I have earned it by doing? See, the argument doesn't work. It's just garbage argument. Now, Christians shouldn't live in sin. They do. And people say to me, well, do you think they're going to go to heaven? I am not qualified to choose. Heaven would be probably very underpopulated if I was in charge of that. (laughs) So what do we see here in verse 9? Paul makes this statement to be found in him. Being found in him occurred at the moment of the new birth. When each of us accepted Jesus as our Savior, we became one with Him and in union with the Godhead. This is part of our positional truth. Now, I'm not going to get into positional truth and experiential truth right now, but positional truth is an important thing. You can have it and actually not experience it. We'll get into that sometime. 
The second part of this verse, he says, not having a righteousness of my own. This is self-righteousness. It is possible, now listen closely, to be in Christ and still be self-righteous. Did you know that? In other words, you're controlled by the flesh. Now, if your only understanding of the flesh is the sin nature, then you're missing a portion in the sense of, you know, we'll read Galatians 5, and we look at the list and go, oh, that's bad. I never do any of those things. But you may in your flesh be trying to earn relationship with the Lord or perform religiously. There are people that do this. They give to the church because they want to make heaven. It ain't going to work. You can have your money back. It won't work. Performing, actually, I'm I'm almost, I shouldn't say I'm convinced. Maybe it's 50-50. I think the stench of self-righteousness might be as bad in the Lord's nostrils as those that are just living in absolute sin. Because it's kind of a slap in his face, don't you think? You say, how do I know I'm living in self-righteousness? You're bargaining with God to get answers to prayer. Well, Lord, don't you know what I've done? Yes, he does. That's why Jesus came. (laughs) You're bargaining with him instead of just resting on his word. Well, Lord, I'm a preacher. I deserve this. I mean, you know, I, I do a lot for you, Lord. It doesn't work. How many have noticed it doesn't work? Okay? So we have to watch out for this. This person has no more effect on the world than an unbeliever. A person who's self-righteous. They have no more effect. Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day and he said, you go from city to city and you, make the, you, you have these converts and you make them twice the sons of hell as you are. Now that's just, that's seeker sensitive. I love it. Jesus was just all about the numbers. Okay. (laughs) A believer who is self-righteous is salt that has lost its savor. So then he goes on to say this next phrase. He says, which is of the law. The law here represents legalism, religion, or human works. These three produce self-righteousness, which is always the enemy of the cross and the Christian way of life. The next portion, he says, but that righteousness, but, wit, but that which is through the faith of or in Christ. We received righteousness the moment we accepted Jesus as our Savior. This is the righteousness we want to be found in and showing the world. It is the opposite of self-righteousness. This righteousness is a gift from God which cannot be earned or deserved. Neither can you work to keep it. You can believe and keep it. Amen? The righteousness, the last part of the the, uh, verse says this, the righteousness which is of or from the source of God based on faith. Righteousness which is of God or from the source of God and it is based on faith. This righteousness did not originate from us but came from God the Father. It is His life, I love this, it is His life, it is His nature 
righteousness, and power which we have. We will also share eternity with him because of his plan, not ours. Isn't that nice? So the Holy Spirit is declaring through Paul that our righteousness cannot be earned. We cannot join a religion to obtain it. We cannot do enough acts of service or give enough money for it. We cannot take vows to obtain it or physically abuse our own body to obtain it. How many know people do this all over the world? Okay? Paul was born into the right family and nation. He was raised correctly. He joined what he thought was the best of the best in his religious community. He was full of zeal, keeping the law with great detail. He chased down what he thought was a cult and put their followers in prison and had them murdered. Nothing he did in the natural was enough. Only faith in Christ is enough for righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, imagine the relief. Imagine the relief. Oh, I don't have to earn it. I receive it. All right, let's go to verse 10. He goes on to say this. I love this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. People don't like that part. Being conformed to his death. So what do we see here? We see in this verse that Paul shares four desires here for us that he had that we should aim at. That I may know him. My aim is to get to know Jesus. I long to come to know Jesus. The way to know God is by taking in his word consistently. The more we know his word the more we know how God thinks. This is truly knowing God. This grace orientation in life leads to maturity and growth in the Lord. The scriptures give us insight into what took place in the work of Christ. Through knowledge of the scriptures and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we come to the place of not only a renewed mind, but a living, vibrant relationship with God. Watch this now. We will miss resurrection provision if our thinking is not right. We will miss resurrection provision if our thinking is not right. If our thinking is not right. Now, I'm going to prove this to you. Sometimes people think, oh, no, no, I just need to experience God in prayer. You don't know how to pray if you don't know the word. You don't know how. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray. But what I'm saying is there is no excuse for not knowing the word, especially in today's society. You don't even need to buy a Bible. You can download an app. And they'll give you multiple versions of the Bible for nothing. If we, we will miss resurrection provision if our thinking is not right. It'll cut it off. Because you go, is God really like that? God, I don't know. You know, this is uh, religious people's favorite prayer. If it be thy will, Lord. (laughs) You don't want to tag that on the end of every prayer around me, just so you know. (laughs) because I will eviscerate it. With this sword, though, in love, very gently. (laughs) 
<laughs> Very gently. You got to, you know, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. <laughs> the third thing we see here is that Paul wanted to know the power of his resurrection. How many want to know that? As one commentator put it, to experience continually the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Continually. That's a powerful statement. This is a desire of Paul's that we should adopt in following as an example. Jesus raised, and and we're going to go into the power of this resurrection. Jesus Jesus was raised from the dead by the other two members of the Godhead. How many realize that? The first was the Father. You say, how do you know that? 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 10, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. God the Father raised Jesus, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The second was the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. We all know this verse. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also what? Quicken your mortal body by his spirit who dwells in you. Now, this is a twofold quickening. You say, what do you mean by that? Rapture, resurrection, when Christ returns, and right now where you're at. Now, I'm looking forward more to the, the second one. I'm talking about the rapture because you get a whole new, you don't just got to, you know, you don't just get a zap and you have a little more energy for a while. You never run out of energy. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I have found out I'm mortal in the flesh. <laughs> How many have found that out? Your mind goes, oh, yeah, you can do that. Your body goes, no. Let's not do that. First, First Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The resurrection was the greatest display of power that God has ever shown. We know this. Ephesians 1.19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Isaiah 53.1. Who has believed our report and to whom has the what? Arm of the Lord been revealed. The arm of God. The arm of God. The power of the resurrection is made available in our lives as we grow in the Lord. Maturity causes, listen to this very closely, because many Pentecostals, charismatic word of faith, woohoo, jump up and down, prophetic movement, run around, roll in the water, flag waving. And I'm for all of it, I don't care. They miss this. And it costs them. Because they're looking for a feeling before they believe they have deliverance. And faith 
doesn't need a feeling. It needs a word. Feelings will come and go. And guys, you say, why do you have to emphasize that all the time? Because the power of God that's going to hit, if you're not grounded in the word, you'll fall in love with the presence. You'll fall in love with the feeling is what I mean. Oh, no, that won't happen to me. You're human. You're just as human as me. I just, sometimes people think, what's wrong with Sean? And I wonder the same thing. (laughs) But only on certain days. (laughs) Here's the thing. Um, Mark, Dunn, and I, we connect on this. We've studied revivals. I remember sitting at Ramah, listening to Brother Hagin, 84 years old, 83 years old, teaching our classes, talking to us about what took place during the healing revival in the 50s and late 40s, and warning us. He would, he, he would come in to class, and he would prophesy about the coming move of God that it would be greater than any move that has ever been seen. It almost like a compilation of everything that's taken place slammed all into one. And even beyond that, you can't, you can't get it in your head. You couldn't imagine it. And then he would go to warning us. He'd teach the word, and then he'd start telling us, testimonies and stories about what he walked through back in back then with some of those ministers and some of those different things that went on and he would talk about how the, and guys I'm telling you we were in service I was in services you could it you could take the presence of God. it's like you could cut it and and take a piece of it out it was so thick you you would have to be completely I mean, even if you were completely dense, you'd still feel the presence of God. I'm talking about electricity. Manifestations of God in such power that you, it's, I don't even know how to put it into words. But the glory of God coming in, how, how many ever, you ever uh, been driving and you, like on a mountain or something, and you, driven, driven, you have driven into a cloud in the mountain? That's exactly what it was like. It's almost like you could breathe it. I could feel it through every part of me. The glory of God, the mantle that was on him. The presence of God moving and flowing. And yet he would say, the thing that has kept me through all these years is this word right here. And I'd see, we'd see, we watch, I watched him follow an angel around the sanctuary. There's 10, 8,000 people in Rhema Bible Church. And he's following an angel around ministering to people by the leading of this angel. And you know what he would do? Very just simple. And then after it was over, he'd close the meeting. Next day, we'd, we'd come to the next meeting. And everybody, you know, when I was real young, and the Lord said, be like, oh, I hope we have another angel. You know, and he'd teach on walking in love. And I'd be like, Lord, that's not really my problem. <laughs> it was really my problem. Anybody identify with that one? It's like, you know, I, I've heard this message before. He'd use the same scriptures. He wouldn't even deviate the story. <laughs> Be the same ones. And he'd look at you and, and, and he just, 
You know, and he's real simple. He wasn't a great preacher necessarily. But he, he'd just look at you and go, well, the word will work if you do it. Just do it. Don't quit. Just do it. I thought, my goodness. The power of the resurrection is made available in our lives as we grow in the Lord. Maturity causes more power to flow through us each day to meet the problems of life. But you know what people don't like? They don't want to mature. They don't want to grow up. They want to go to a 20-minute message that doesn't even touch on anything they're really dealing with. They want to feel good and have a social club at times. Until you fall in love with this, the man, Christ Jesus, and you let him get down into the, to, to the parts of your heart and your soul, my soul, that, I have, that you don't want to be messed with, you won't grow, or your growth will be very limited. Well, Lord, these are the areas you can touch. These are not. And he'll say to you, fine, those are the areas you'll be free. These are the ones that you won't be. Oh, hallelujah. I only speak from experience, <laughs> right? How many have experienced that? You know. How many are glad you let the Lord mess with you in that area now that you're free? My goodness, it's worth it. Well, I don't want to have to deal with it. You're lying to yourself, and the Lord can see right through you. And He's not going to reject you because of it. He'll, 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 let, he'll, he'll still be with you. Just the level of intimacy won't be where it could be. I just said something very profound right there. By the Spirit of God, the level of intimacy just won't be where it could be. And it's not because God is not wanting to be intimate. It's because we often are. Because of fear. I love Pastor Jeremy Vester out in Glendive. He say, he'd talk about his insecurities. He said, I was so insecure, I was uh, nervous around myself praying. He, he, was, he didn't even want to praise by himself. Because he's that insecure. Or was. But he broke it by the grace of God. Now he doesn't care if you see him praise and shout and run and jump. Why? The Lord's there now. He's been able to be in. Amen? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Proving that knowledge is very important. I'm going to finish reading this. The power of God brought to us through the daily application of the promises of God. The power of God is brought to us through the daily application of the promises of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the what? Knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his, verse 3. As His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious, what? Promises that through these, you and I may be what? Partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world. So think about this. 
In these verses, it states knowledge of God, knowledge of Him, exceeding great and precious promises. But through those promises, we partake of the what? Divine nature. We partake of the divine nature through what? Knowledge through of what? Promises. If you don't know the promise, can you partake? You got to know it. Well, I just want the preacher to know it all for me. It's not the preacher's job. I mean, the preacher should know the promises, sure. But our job is to grow the church up, to, to nourish you with the word. You take this word that you heard, you go home, and you pour over it for an hour and a half every day. People sometimes, you can see it, they look at you like you're deer in headlights, you know. <laughs> you want me to read that one scripture for an hour and think about it? Yeah. If you want it to become more real to you than your circumstance, you'll do it. If you want the people do this, they, they because of our there are so many reasons why, but because we live in this world, because of the pressure of Satan, because of natural thinking, because the laws that govern where we're at right now, we we get weighted down and pressured. We have things come against us, and it's it's in everybody's life that's sit, sit, seated here and that's watching online. You have things coming against you, but I'm telling you, if you're going to partake of divine nature. Well, no, I need, I, need, uh, I need to call the prayer line and have all these different ministries pray for me. You can do that. But until you do this, you won't be free. Well, if I do that, you know, I only have so many hours in a day. So where are they most, where is the most important place to spend the hours that you do have? I realize we have jobs. I realize we have to go to work. I realize we have kids. I realize we have things that we have to take care of. But guys, Jesus, he's everything. People sometimes will, will come and ask for prayer about something that they have not even waited on before the Lord. Now, I'm going a little heavier here because this is Wednesday night. I might do it on Sunday morning too. I could be guilty. <laughs> but they haven't even taken the time to sit before the Lord. You know, I grew up around, uh, and I'm guilty of this, guys. I've done this, okay? I've gotten busy and made excuses. But I'm telling you, I grew up listening to uh, these men of God and these old-time Pentecostals. We got too much stuff going on in our world and too many outlets Way too many. But I remember Brother Hagin talking about a, a, something that was a promise of God that he knew was the promise of God not working in his life in the area of financial provision for his family and his ministry. I mean, his kids weren't adequately clothed. He was, they weren't eating like they should have. You know what he did? He found one scripture and he sat before the Lord and it, he said he never fasted longer than three days. 
Now, I'm just going to say what he said. You can do with, with it what you want. I agree with him, but do whatever you want. <laughs> if it takes longer, good. You should take longer. But he said, I've never fasted longer than three days without getting my answer. I've always got it within, under three days. I'm talking about full food fast. And he'd take one scripture, and he took a scripture, and he brought it before the Lord, and he said, Lord, you're the one that told me to do this, to travel. You're the one that told me to do these things, but my family's not being taken care of. And your word says that if I be willing and obedient, I'll eat the good of the land. And he sat before the Lord until the Lord answered him. I'm not saying he didn't get up and go to the bathroom, take care of what he needed to do. I'm saying he didn't do anything else. He sat before the Lord. Now, that's unheard of today. I mean, Mark, you know, you read some of those old-time revivals. I mean, uh, you read how the Wesleyan movement was started. He would, he would go out into fields. He'd find an empty, hollowed-out log and pray in it for hours. And you read the account of it. This guy was not a Pentecostal, necessarily. He, I mean, this, you know, uh, shouting your hair down wasn't a thing then. He would, he would pray in the Spirit and pray and intercede for lost souls for hours in a hollowed-out log. You know, we're like, you know, 75 pillows. Is the chair just right? Do I have Bethel on just loud enough? And, and then your phone goes ding, and it's Facebook, and you're like, oh, excuse me, Lord. Okay, I better get off that. He would he would pray, and the Bible or the Bible the testimonies state that the glory of God would come down, and he sometimes would rejoice for hours under that anointing. Like the the presence of God came so strong, it just revitalized his body to the point he'd be running and jumping and shouting for long periods of time. Through the promises, I'm never going to get through the rest of this chapter. I don't care. Pause. <laughs> if you've kept your notes in line, then you got them and you're good and we could just pick up. The potential of daily power offered to us as believers is based on Jesus' resurrection. If it were necessary, God could still give us all the power he used to raise up his son from the dead. It's still accessible. (laughs) Isn't that a powerful statement? From these passages of scripture, you can see the danger in not taking time to know the written word of God. I'll just finish up this verse. I really want to get to verse 11. But I'm not gonna, it's not going to happen. Paul says the fellowship or the participation of his sufferings, and that's undeserved sufferings, just so you know. This verse is talking about participating in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of righteousness. This refers to suffering for the gospel's sake. In other words, you are out being a witness and you are hated or persecuted for it. It is unearned or undeserved suffering. 
Now, this is a powerful truth right here. The more the believer knows the Lord and his word, the more he is capable of handling the persecutions of life. Paul had reached a place of maturity where his intake of the word produced so much of the power of God for daily living that he was eager to take on sufferings, the sufferings of life as Jesus did. Participation in the sufferings of Jesus has to be preceded with knowing God and his power. Paul was willing to have more persecutions because he knew the unlimited power of God to deliver him was far more than a match for Satan's limited power to cause him suffering. Each trial Paul came through brought glory to God and strength to Paul. This mentality can only come by revelation of God through his word. No natural thinking believer would, would be, willing, would be a, willing in, uh, a willing agent for increased persecutions. No natural thinking believer would be a willing agent for increased persecutions. This comes through a revelation of the love of God and his keeping resurrection power. Then he says being conformed to his death or to experience the self-emptying described in Philippians 2.7. Do you remember that verse? Philippians 2.7 says this it, about Jesus. But made, Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And that's what Paul was talking about, being conformed to his death. Paul's sufferings are not the sufferings Jesus took on the cross. Christ's sufferings were unique. They were associated with the penalty for sins, for our sins and sicknesses. These came as a result of the fall of Adam, and only Jesus Christ, the uniquely born Son of God, could suffer these. No one else in history could ever suffer the same way. The persecutions mentioned here are the sufferings Paul encountered during his lifetime from the religious leaders and from the world, as well as from demons and Satan himself. These sufferings eventually led to his death. But you know, when you have the power of the resurrection, physical death doesn't seem that daunting. I'm not saying I'm there. I'm saying when you understand the power of the resurrection. Finally, verse 10 gives us an excellent catalog of items that a Christian should want to, be, want to have as present realities on a continuous basis. Even though a Christian obviously knows Christ, that knowledge can increase and become more intimate as the person experiences spiritual growth. Paul related the power of the resurrection to the necessity of experiencing spiritual strength to live an overcoming Christian life on a continuous basis. Many people quote this marvelous verse, but leave out the segment relating to, this, to suffering and conforming. To the death of Christ. What you need to realize is, and Paul made this statement, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Paul also said this, he said, when I'm weak, this needs to be a revelation. Sometimes people are, are trying to just be strong and they just, you know, but what Paul is realizing here is I can be in and of myself 
being completely depleted so I can be completely filled by him. That's the goal. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.